You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Tuesday, October 27th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Beneficial Biologics, locally produced organic gardening products, founded in Humboldt County in 2010, offering nutrient delivery systems, striving for strong plants and garden performance, distributed nationally, available locally. Product information at beneficialbiologics.com. And Sierra Moon Goldsmith, family-owned, full-service goldsmith shop, specializing in custom-designed jewelry. Open Wednesday through Saturday, noon to 4 p.m. in Old Town, Auburn. Information and designs online at sierramoongoldsmiths.com. Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, Keith Porter talks with David Parker about the history of the marching presidents in Nevada County. NPR News reports that Western states and the federal government need to radically increase the number and size of controlled burns to help reduce the ongoing risks of more catastrophic wildfire seasons. We have today's national native news. Closing out today's newscast, we have Mark Cunaberti with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you Embracing the Journey, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden delivered a speech in Warm Springs, Georgia today, home to former President Franklin D. Roosevelt's Little White House retreat. As Georgia Public Broadcasting, Stephen Fowler reports Biden laid out his hopes for bridging the nation's sharp political divide. About 90 minutes south of Atlanta, rural Warm Springs is a location where FDR famously sought healing for his polio and gained inspiration for parts of his New Deal. One week out from Election Day, Biden used the site to pitch his plan to heal a divided country. Many wonder, has it gone too far? Have we passed the point of no return? Has the heart of this nation turned to stone? I don't think so. I refuse to believe it. Polls show Biden with a slight lead in Georgia, a battleground state that has not voted to elect a Democratic president since 1992. The down-ballot stakes are high as well, with both U.S. Senate seats on the ballot. For NPR News, I'm Stephen Fowler in Warm Springs, Georgia. With the election a week away, President Donald Trump is engaging in something of a full-court press in the Midwest. Trump appearing at events in three states today, starting with an appearance at a cold, rain-soaked rally in Lansing, Michigan, where he touched on what has been an ongoing campaign theme and promise. We will deliver record prosperity, epic job growth, and a safe vaccine that eradicates the virus and quickly ends the pandemic. Most polls show Trump now trailing rival Joe Biden in Michigan, which he narrowly won as part of his 2016 victory. However, Trump told an audience he intends to win that state again. Trump also campaigns in Wisconsin and Nebraska today. A 20-year-old black woman seriously injured in a recent police shooting in Illinois gave an emotional account of the incident from her hospital bed. NPR's Cheryl Corley reports the woman's attorney says the city's been transparent, but a lawsuit has been filed. 
20-year-old Tafara Williams joined a press conference by Zoom to talk about the October 20th incident in Waukegan, Illinois, that left her wounded and her 19-year-old boyfriend, Marcella Stinnette, dead. Williams said they didn't want to smoke near their young child, so they sat in her car. Questioned by one police officer and let go, Williams says another officer seemed to be waiting for them during an encounter that escalated. I told them, please don't shoot. I have a baby. We have a baby. We don't want to die. The officer, who is Hispanic, has been fired. Protests have been peaceful, avoiding the violence that broke out in nearby Kenosha, Wisconsin, after a police shooting there in August. Cheryl Corley, NPR News. A mixed close on Wall Street today. The Dow was down 222 points to 27,463. The Nasdaq was up 72 points. The S&P was down 10 points. This is NPR. In Wisconsin, with the election a week away, there is now a full court press to get all mail-in ballots returned. That's because the Supreme Court has declined to extend the deadline for mail-in votes, as was requested by Democrats who wanted to push the deadline past the election in order to include all ballots postmarked by November 3rd. It's estimated with seven days till the election, there were 320,000 outstanding absentee ballots in that state. French President Emmanuel Macron will unveil tougher new restrictions to try to slow the spread of the coronavirus in that country. NPR's Elder Beardsley reports it's spreading so fast the government cannot take time to see if a curfew has any effect. France is on tenterhooks waiting and wondering what new restrictions will be put in place this week. The nightly news is full of possible scenarios. A curfew two hours earlier at 7 p.m., a lockdown during the weekends, but it's clear that a total lockdown of the entire country is entirely possible now. At last check, more than 523 people had died in the last 24 hours, double from the day before, and a number not seen since last March. 57% of ICU beds are now occupied with COVID patients. The government had given 15 days to see if the curfew would work, but the virus is spreading so fast the curfew has become irrelevant. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris. Less than a week before voters cast their ballots, the heads of some big tech companies will be testifying before Senate lawmakers, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Google's Sundar Pichai, and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, expected to face grilling from Senate Republicans who accuse the company of any conservative bias. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight skies will be clear with a low around 45. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 71 and overnight lows near 46 with clear skies. In Sacramento tonight, skies will be clear with a low around 46. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 76 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 45. Tonight in Truckee, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 21. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 68 and a low around 21 with mostly clear skies. And in Angels Camp, tonight will be clear with a low around 48. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 73 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 50.
So Keith Porter for KVMR News, and I'm talking today with David Parker. David is someone who's lived in our community for about 50 years. He's been an elected official for a long time, uh, served on the Sierra College Board, the Nevada City Council. He's started some rec groups, and um, perhaps his big notable accomplishment is he is the founder of the famous Marching Presidents. David, welcome to KVMR. Thank you, Keith. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you about the famous Marching Presidents. Started in 1988, and it, I truly was watching the uh, Constitution Day Parade for some time, and uh, it was a wonderful event that was uh, packed with uh, uh, Shriners, and it was like the circus had come to town. They'd come here from all over the place in busloads, and I didn't think they had enough local participation. But one night in the summer of 1988, I woke up in the middle of the night and said, marching presidents, and I had this idea, little did I know, that uh, would we received the first year we got about 55 people, and that was, and we uh, strolled down Broad Street, and that was the beginning of an art project, I call it, and here we are um, 34 years later, and uh, we've become quite an institution in our community, and we are the only group of its kind I can find in America. I'm sure there's people that do Lincoln, Washington, and all the big plays, but we do everybody, every president, all the 45 now, and first ladies, and we have a secret service and a few celebrities thrown in. So you've got something upward of 100 people involved uh, being playing the role of the presidents, the first ladies, and the secret service and so forth. That is correct. Yes, we do. And uh, we've been that way for uh, probably after the second or third year of our event. We caught on, and it's been, and some people have been with us fall 34 years. And these people are chosen, and to some degree, I guess, to kind of be familiar in uh, look and countenance to the people, the historical people, and they have dress and costume, right? It's it's quite a scene. Yeah, we, uh, we try to be as authentic as we can. We have a, uh, we do have a little fun out with it, too, I want to say. We select people of, of that you just description that you just said, and, and we have a team that actually does the recruiting for us now. It's have you had any trouble in the past finding people to fill certain roles and that look enough like or that are willing to play a, a role dressed up in a costume, for example? Surprisingly not, you would think so, but no, we've had, uh, we have actually a waiting list, but as we became, well, famous, we uh, have a waiting list of people who want to participate with us, and that's a joy to have that. So have you ever had to impeach someone for bad behavior and replace them with someone else? Uh, The answer is yes, (laughs) that is true. I believe them nameless, but they were just not uh, what we needed to do. Our early years were a little ragged, to say the least, but we've grown uh, very polished over the years to represent uh, our, and to celebrate the Constitution, that's one of the reasons we do this. Celebrate Nevada City is one of the reasons we get involved in with the schools, the presidents that show up, first ladies show up over the years, and uh, we, we've been very proactive in, uh, in that realm as well. Well, remind us all uh, uh, that when Constitution Day is uh, in normal years, and that's obviously the main uh, time when you appear and mark. That's correct, and it was started by uh, Colonel William Lambert, as we call him. Uh, uh, I think it's this year would have been at fifty-sixth year or something like that, and it's uh, this now. It's the third weekend in September, which is really close to. Uh, that the Constitution Day in America. We actually 
started the uh, Colonel Lambert Community Service Award, and we gave out the 31st annual honor this year to Fran Cole, and uh, that's been a very enjoyable part of our organization, is celebrating people in our community who do great community service. That's great. So for people in our community and for those uh, beyond our reach who might be listening anywhere in the world on kvmr.org streaming, come. Presumably next year there will be a Constitution Day uh, celebration in the third weekend in September. Come and see the famous marching presidents. Please do. And have you, David, ever gotten the group involved in uh, activities outside of western Nevada County? No, we, we've considered it over the years, but we really have a term for us uh, it's kind of like herding kittens outside of our regular weekend, uh, uh, and uh, it's been a real challenge to do something like that. But, yeah, we've considered it. I can imagine, yeah, with that, that many people all volunteering and, and all the costumes, all the logistics, it's, it's quite a scene. But it's a wonderful gift to, to the community and to our nation, really, to uh, have a chance for people to reflect on who our past presidents have been and their first ladies and all of that. It's its an amazing scene. I strongly recommend people turn out when you make an appearance. It's really uh, really something worth watching. Well, this year was a real challenge uh, with COVID-19. And, uh, a while we, we canceled in the very first of June, and the parade itself got canceled in about the third week of July, but we knew in the size of our group that it would be impossible to participate, and it, we were proven right that it was. Besides COVID-19 being so difficult uh, this year, and it was, uh, but we have done some interesting things this year, some very creative things. One is in Callanan Park on August 26, 2020, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which has roots here in Nevada City. That would be Ellen Clark Sargent and Aaron Sargent. Actually, he, he entered the 29 words that became the 19th Amendment, and that is the 19th for those of you out there, is the right for women to vote in America, which is a big deal. Right. So we dedicated we dedicated a tree in Calaman Park, um, a, a dogwood tree, it's, and um, we honored uh, Ellen with uh, dedicating that tree. And as I said previously, we uh, this year also did our 31st annual Colonel William Bill Lambert Award, which is for Outstanding Community Service. And what we also did, which I think is really very interesting, is we did an original play about Ellen Clark Sargent. And with the cooperation of Nevada City Oddfellows, we we, uh, performed it there. Now, when I say perform, we didn't have an audience, as you probably can imagine, but we videotaped it. And it's a wonderful production. It was created by Mary Baird and Pamela Berry, and it also is a, we've got a 35-minute video production, and we're now in the process of doing the GoFundMe so we can raise money to give it, this production to schools mm-hmm. and community service groups. Perfect. So, so tell us how the community can support your GoFundMe campaign. GoFundMe.com slash F slash Ellen dash Sergeant dash film. And that will get you to our site, and you can see what we're all about. And this is an educational program that matches what our theme has been for years, is to serve the community as well as have a good time. Okay, so the community can support that, and the community can come out and that see would be great. come out and see the famous marching presidents next year on Constitution Day, and uh, hopefully every year after that. Uh, yes, yes. 
So, David Parker, thank you for all you do in the community for making this happen and uh, telling us all about it today on KVMR. Thanks very much for what you do. Well, thank you, Keith, for for uh, getting a hold of me and informing the, our community about us even more so. And thanks a lot. A historically destructive wildfire season across much of the western U.S. has renewed debate over intentional burns. Those managed wildfires would help clear forests and grasslands of dangerous levels of vegetation built up over decades of fire suppression. Experts say, though, we will need to intentionally burn many more acres to get the West's wildlife problem in check. And here's Eric Westervelt reports. In Colorado, three of the state's five largest wildfires in history have burned this year. In California, five of the biggest on record have occurred just since August. Fire ecologists say that while people right now might not want to hear it, the most effective prevention strategy is to use more fire to fix the region's wildfire problem. Some people might say that, you know, they're scared of doing prescribed fire. But, you know, I'm scared what will happen in the next 10 years if we don't do prescribed fire. That's Kate Wilkin, a fire ecologist with the Wildfire Interdisciplinary Research Center at San Jose State. She recognizes how awful it's been for many in recent years, people who've lost loved ones and homes, the fear, stress, and smoke-filled air drifting hundreds of miles. But in terms of forest health, Wilkin says, California is supposed to burn. So when the state topped 4 million acres burned earlier this month, Wilkin also thought, Wow, we're actually getting into the ballpark of how many acres used to burn in California. Historically, somewhere between 4.4 million and 12 million acres used to burn every year. By contrast, California in the last few years has intentionally burned just over 50,000 acres on public lands. Federal and California officials recently signed an agreement to try to boost that significantly to treat about a million acres a year with combined thinning and controlled burns. But critics say that's nowhere near enough to meet this moment. Malcolm North is a research scientist with the U.S. Forest Service. He says a major obstacle to expanding controlled burns is institutional inertia in these large, risk averse state and federal agencies like the one he works for. It's not something in which incremental cautious decisions are going to solve the problem. So you need to have a a cultural shift in the public's understanding about the inevitability of fire. But you also need a cultural shift within the agencies to be more supportive of the use of fire. If historically flawed forest management is half the problem here, battling most every fire, the other half is the world's warming climate, with hotter, drier conditions igniting a century of built-up fuel, says Michael Wara with Stanford's Woods Institute for the Environment. The problem has kind of turned from this thing that we can manage to a monster. And taming that monster through intentional fire, Wara says, is vital yet costly. It's estimated that thinning and prescribed burns can cost up to $2,000 per acre. Coming up with the money to do this at scale has always been a major obstacle. We need sustained federal and state financial support if we're going to have any hope of moving the needle. Other barriers to doing more intentional burns include tough environmental rules and liability laws. And then there's safety. The vast majority of these fires are done without harm to people or property, but they're not risk-free. For example, a Park Service-controlled burn 20 years ago near Los Alamos, New Mexico, got out of control when high winds picked up. Some 400 homes burned. The federal nuclear lab there was threatened. Withering criticism and congressional hearings followed. The plan was flawed. The higher-ups rubber-stamped it. The burn boss was not qualified to do a fire this big. 
That Los Alamos fire became the Enron of controlled burns, a rare but spectacularly botched event whose effect is still felt today across federal agencies. Despite the long, bitter fights in Washington over how to manage the nation's forests, there are currently several bills in the U.S. Senate that would significantly boost federal funding for intentional fires. One of them even has some bipartisan support. Eric Westervelt, NPR News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A collection of artifacts from the Clinkett Frog House Clan can continue to be displayed in a Klukwan Museum. That's despite a legal challenge that reached Alaska's highest court. As Claire Strimple with KHNS reports, the state Supreme Court has apparently ended a decades-old dispute over control of the cultural treasures. When Frog House clan members disputed the sale of artifacts to a Canadian collector in the 1970s, an Alaska Superior Court judge ruled that they actually belonged to all members of Klukwan's Frog House. The court ordered them placed in the care of clan elders living in the clan's traditional lands on the Upper Lynn Canal. It added a condition. They could only be sold with the unanimous consent of all Frog House clan members. Until a safe place was found near Klukwan, the artifacts would sit in the State Museum in Juneau. There they remained for decades. Until last year, when the carvings, considered masterpieces, were returned to Klukwan. But that didn't sit well with some descendants, who filed a lawsuit last summer. They argued that by housing the artifacts in the tribe's heritage center, the court had given them to the whole tribe rather than the frog house. Petersburg attorney Fred Treem made a case in September that the Jilkatquan Heritage Center in Klukwan kept the artifacts out of the clan's reach. The Frog House clan members, of whom there are 104, cannot use the artifacts. The artifacts are locked up in a museum that's not under the control or even uh, reasonably accessible to the Frog House members. But the state's Supreme Court justices were unmoved. In a decision released on October 21st, they wrote the lower court had been correct, and only exceptional circumstances could overturn the ruling from 1978. The four house posts and a copy of a carved screen are displayed at the Jilkat Kwan Heritage Center in Klukwan. The center is closed for the season, but group tours are available by appointment. I'm Claire Strempel. New Mexico U.S. Senator Tom Udall spoke on the Senate floor Monday calling for the protection of health care for Native Americans before the Senate confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court. Udall raised concerns about the future of the Affordable Care Act due to upcoming challenges. Udall says a repeal would devastate Indian country. The ACA has opened the doors for so many Native Americans to access the care they need whether it's an unplanned medical emergency or routine wellness checkups and screenings. Access to quality health care is critical for Native communities which face disproportionate impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic. The federal government has a trust and treaty obligation to consult with tribes and to provide Native Americans health care. The Affordable Care Act permanently reauthorized the Indian Health Care Improvement Act, key legal authority for the Indian Health Service, and expansion of access to health care for Native Americans. Udall was among a group of senators in opposition of Barrett's Supreme Court nomination. 
Racial equity groups are hosting a virtual event Tuesday night to mobilize voters in Arizona, a key battleground state. The National Congress of American Indians is joining Hispanic, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and other groups to host the event to discuss voting and a number of issues from COVID-19 to racial justice. The event will be streamed on Facebook at Together We Vote AZ. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the SAMHSA-sponsored Opioid Response Network, working across the nation to address the opioid crisis in tribal communities. Information and support at aaip.org. Native Teaching Aids collaborates with tribes to create games and apps which focus on language, culture, and history. Native Teaching Aids can create fun, engaging materials for your community. Further information and online store at nativeteachingaids.com who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Closing out today's newscast, we have Mark Cunaberti with a commentary. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. I've written three articles in the last 15 years or so addressing the changing environment of retail sales. The first article was called The Death of Retail that I penned in 2007. I forecast the collapsing of mom-and-pop stores as a result of the big box stores like Costco and Walmart. The next article I penned in 2017, I called that the death of the big box store, detailing online outlets pressuring the big box stores, much like big box pressured mom-and-pop back then. The latest article I wrote in 2020, right around March, notating the ongoing battle for customers between big box and online retailers and how big box stores were setting up their own online conduits to compete with the online giants. One such success story is Walmart, whose online presence has given Amazon a run for its money. I also detailed in the last two articles that, coupled with the online retailer struggles, the commercial real estate property markets would also suffer as both mom and pop stores and then the big box stores vacated their leased properties. The COVID-19 shutdowns only exasperated the exodus from retail locations. That said, I find it an easy conclusion that the commercial real estate market will be in serious trouble even if a vaccine is found and the country reopens. My opinion, of course. I forecast that 25% of all U.S. small businesses are done for. Indeed, in my small town, the number of businesses with closed permanently signs dot the landscape everywhere I go. Along with the businesses that have closed and the property owners that find themselves in financial straits due to the vacating tenants, the moratorium on evictions have put landlords of both commercial and residential properties under even more duress. Without debating the politics of such decrees, the combination of online competition, vacating tenants, and the handcuffs of an eviction hiatus may spell real disaster for the commercial property marketplace. Although many of us prefer to buy local and support our community, and I am one of them, 
Just last week, I experienced a real-world example of why in-store retail outlets are struggling to keep customers. I was looking for a large squeezy to spread asphalt on my driveway. I visited two local hardware stores. One was a small local chain, and the other a large franchise-type store that had an outlet here. I spent over 30 minutes driving, parking, and going inside to discover both were out of stock. I then called two more local stores. That resulted in five minutes on hold on each call, only to burn another 10 minutes or so to find out everybody was out of stock anyway. In total, I'd wasted about 45 minutes to an hour and about a half a gallon of gas. I went home and spent three minutes locating and ordering the item online, which will arrive in three days. Need I say more? And can you blame me? Adding more worry for investors, real estate investor trusts, known as REITs, are a favorite, or were, they were a favorite income holding for investor portfolios. REITs typically had paid sizable dividends and distributions, making their yields very attractive. Since the shutdown, however, many have been hammered as investors drew the same conclusion I did. Many stores will be closing and a lot of renters aren't paying. Large corporate retailers will grow even larger as they absorb their smaller competitors. They will also garner new customers from the now-defunct mom and pops, further strengthening their corporate balance sheet. They will also benefit from having more negotiations negotiating power to ask that their current leases be reduced due to the decreased demand, putting even more pressure on commercial real estate landlords. The combination of these events spells out something wicked this way comes for the commercial real estate market, of which I would sum up in my opinion on this commercial real estate market. I wouldn't touch any part of it, even with somebody else's 10-foot pole. That does it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of this station its staff management or underwriters. Newscast is not meant as individual investment advice. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License OL34249. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. and is produced by Emory Audio Productions. Coming up next, we bring you Embracing the Journey and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson wishing you a fabulous evening.